One of the most curious things about this piece is its wonderful e-functionalism. Yes, I see what you mean. Divorced from its function and seen purely as a piece of art, its structure of line and colour is curiously counterpointed by the redundant vestiges of its function. And since it has no call to be here, the art lies in the fact that it is here. Absolutely exquisite. And coming up in this episode, we're talking about our favourite book covers, and we're also talking to... Andrew Skeletor. In an exclusive interview, all that and more in this exciting episode of... Doctor Who and the Complete Menagerie. Almost. Well, here we are. Here we are, are, gents. Uh, Lovely to be back in the cab, or rather, should we say... Back in Josiah's library. Yes, absolutely. Yes. First time in a long time, and yes. it's a short episode it's from us. Dusty in here. Oh, it's always very dusty. Yes. I what should say that Mrs. Hudson. <laughs> Mrs. Hudson! How dare you move my Aspy district! <laughs> Today, uh, we're going to briefly talk about our favourite Target novel covers. Oh! Do you have them? Have you brought some? Yes, I, I, I brought mine. I've brought mine from the library. I've got some here. I've got four here. Yes, I've got four too. You've got four? I, I, I brought four as well. Well, yes. fantastic. Well, well, that's handy. Let's not mess about any longer, and let's go straight into Josiah's library. Ah, here it is. No, 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 you two run along. I'm going to do a spot of reading. You tell me to finish this book before we reach Bombay. Very comfy, very cosy. Okay. So, we're in the book club. Mm. What have you brought to the book club, Greg? I've brought... um, uh, We Need to Talk About Kevin by Lionel Shriver. Oh, a lovely book. Classic. Mm. Mm. Uh, Also, To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I've got some Doctor Who books as well. Well, throw that rubbish to one side and let's look at the Doctor Who books. (laughs) Doctor Who. Do you guys ever remember doing that thing, which I've heard other Doctor Who fans doing, of getting all of your target novelisations up, putting them all on the floor, and looking at all of the covers like a giant mosaic? Having lived somewhere big enough with a floor that size, because I never have. I I could just about fit my collection on my bedroom floor as a kid, but I didn't have a full collection. Uh, Uh, So I've never done it with the full set. It's It's a patio. Really? It's got a bedroom floor. Right. Yeah. My my uh, bedroom as a teenager was quite long, so I could I could space them out by about five widths, but then they'd have to go back about twenty. So it was quite a rectangular shape. I see. Did you buy your targets one at a time, or did you get a job lot at some point? I occasionally got a job lot, Charlie. There was a wonderful thing that happened. Um, <coughs> I was tipped off by um, a friend of mine at school called Gavin Birchall, who's mm. since become. Um, a pharmacist and has done quite well actually uh, I believe he's uh, in the pharmaceutical world um, and um, he said they're selling Doctor Who books at this uh, at this bookshop just around the corner in Crosby where we used to go to school which is Merseyside just mm-hmm. outside of Liverpool and um, I went in and uh, they had pretty much the job lot and of course this was on 
my lunch break and um, I, I couldn't uh, couldn't afford to, to get them all so I didn't have 50p in my pocket so I bought two or whatever so um, so my mum very kindly arranged to uh, go with me a couple of days later because um, I got the school bus so it's not like I could just sort of ask her to and uh, we went in and bought about 20 in one go. And I think there was lots of laughing and joking about how, how keen a reader I was and all that sort of thing. <laughs> but I was absolutely thrilled. I went away with a big job lot under my arm. And another one was... Um, the great my, feeling, my, that, isn't it? Yeah. My, my dad's works did um, uh, like a summer fair, like a PTA-type thing mm. um, with coconut shies and things like that. And that, that was another occasion where I got about 10 target novelisations. Yeah. How about so yourself? Is it a one at a time? I, I got mine from two different sources. One was from uh, a shop in Home Firth called Daisy Lane Books, and they had the whole lot for about 10p each. Yeah. And I was mad about getting first editions at that time, yeah. Chris Achilleos in particular, and they had to be first editions. So I've now got about eight copies of The Demons, eight <laughs> copies of Day of the Daleks, mm. <clears throat> and of course I just hoard stuff and never throw it away. So I've mm. still got those, and they've all got people's names in the front, you know, David Smith or whatever else. Yes. Uh, but I had, and they, and they smell fusty, but I quite like that. It was yeah. quite invocative of, you know, these books have been around. You know, round the block a few times. Yeah. They're now mine, um, and the smell is also mine. So I quite like that. Uh, the second source was from a friend called Tom McFall, who is now an Oxford Don, oh. who one day decided that he'd stop like Doctor Who overnight. He woke up one morning, and that was it. Doctor Who and me are, we're finished, Doctor, finished. Right. And he said, well, do you want these books? I said, well, go on then. He had the whole lot. So, I, I, like you, I left the house with this massive carrier bag for the books. Wow. Uh, were just alone um, so that was kind of um, my two sources but I kind of stopped buying them towards the end the, mm. the McCoy stuff mm. do you have them all? I don't no I don't oh, really? for, that, for that reason yeah, yeah. that's interesting I didn't yeah. expect that Charlie mm. I, I had a similar experience as well I used to go to a bookshop in Jersey called the Soros Bookshop and they must have just donated a lot of Target somebody must have just offloaded their Target collection mm. it was particularly late 70s early 80s stock uh, from a, a gentleman called Lee Raffolt, and I don't think I have one of his here. Or maybe I do. Uh, maybe one of you guys does. Maybe. Um, there we go, you've got Lee Raffolt there, oh, yeah. and he actually numbered uh, his books. Oh, so he was a, a Jersey boy of some, some repute, a Doctor Who fan. Whatever happened to him? I don't know, but I hope he's happy. Hmm. But uh, <laughs> it's interesting you say about the must, because on, on the books which I was picking up at the time, which would have been late 70s, early 80s, and I, this was in the early 90s, we were talking a, a decade. But they smelt like they were from the Victorian yeah. period. Yeah. Yeah. Tobacco, Lots of tobacco, all yes. that kind of. I've got books mm. now which I bought 25 years ago, which don't look a day old because yeah. of the climate they've been stored in. And isn't it strange how it stuff from the 60s, 70s, 80s is just from a different era? Totally. Kids now won't get that lovely joke in um, Adrian Mole, uh, Sue Townsend, because Adrian Mole likes buying second-hand books and stuff. And he says, "I found a lovely copy of um, George Orwell." I, didn't buy it because some joker called Eric Blair had written his name. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got we've got four vol uh, four books in front of us each here. Um, yes, from from the Doctor Who Target Library, as it used to be known. And we've not picked them out for any other reason apart from the cover art mm. we we particularly like. So would you like to go first, Greg, uh, with your selection and and why you've chosen the ones that you have? Well, I've chosen some because um, uh, we've, we have coming up in the Mind Probe. Am I, am I allowed to say this? Because we, we teased it, didn't we? Mm. But we have coming up in the Mind Probe, talking about um, his entire career in uh, Doctor Who uh, with the illustrations, which went back from 1979 all the way through to the mid-90s and, in fact, carries on 
to some extent to this day with some of the, the new uh, stuff he was telling us about, which was of less interest to us, um, being the, the remake and so forth. Mm, indeed. Um, but it's Andrew Skillet, whose work introduced us to a, a lot of these books. And um, so I picked up some of his um, and another one. Um, and all of these things were ways of getting into um, the world of Doctor Who. So Doctor Who and, and on an Earthly Child by Terence Dix is a, a um, Andrew Skillet a cover. And Doctor Who's not on it. And he, he talks about that in the interview uh, we have with him. It's the TARDIS in the junkyard. Hmm. But um, it's, it's kind of uh, an imagined junkyard. It's not the junkyard that you see in, in the show. And you pointed out an interesting detail about the TARDIS, didn't you, Sam? Because it's got the St. John's um, ambulance logo, but... Yes, it, I think it's uh, the, 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 the police box prop from uh, 1980, mm-hmm. the, uh, which is a, it's quite squat in shape. It's a very different shape to the, the original police box prop from 1963. That and the colour as well is different. That would appall Clayton Hickman. Clayton Hickman, we're upset. Sorry, Clay. But this is, again, Chris has, has got reference pictures which yes. the production office would have provided for yes. him to draw the police box. And as a child, I didn't know any different. That's no, the child. I've never yeah. noticed that. But it's an interesting yeah. curiosity because it's a, an item of its time. I believe this book was published for the 20th anniversary. Am I right, Charles? That's right. That's why it's got a shiny logo at the front. Right. It's a nice book. Yeah. 1983. Oh, 81. It's, well, the copyright oh. is 81, but yes, yeah, so maybe... It, Maybe they delayed ah, right. publication for a couple of years. Okay. So that's not right then. <laughs> Incorrect. <laughs> but it's got broken glass on these warehouse uh, mm. windows here. It's got a watering can. It's got all kinds of lovely little details and things. And of course, back in the day when I was a kid and I, I hadn't seen Doctor Who and Earthly Child, but I had the book, I would spend hours poring over the um, covers and looking at them in minute detail. Um, in fact, Armageddon Factor was one. Did, did Andrew draw that? I don't think he did, actually, did he? But I, I remember looking at that in some detail, because they're on sort of a ship, and there's like a little robot in the background. And thats I don't think he did do that one, because no, that, that, I think that, might, sure be, did, that might be pastels. It's mm. quite an interesting cover, that one, because the colours are very strange. Um, I don't think... Because one of Andrew Skillet's styles, which was very popular in the late 70s, early 80s, and you'll see this on a lot of album artwork from the time, um, like H.R. Giger's work as well, is work of airbrush. Oh, yes. Which is a, a very laborious process for Where graphic it? art. It's, it's, it's very physically demanding, especially if you don't have compressed air and you, you're using a foot pump, which I know a lot of artists did at the time. They, they'd literally be pumping with their foot and spraying at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an awful lot of work. Um, but you'd have control over that, wouldn't you? You'd, you'd have control over the pressure. Where the skill comes in. I think it's a combination of the two. Uh, presumably you, you, the, the foot pump would pressurise a canister and then through the airbrush you'd, re- you'd release the pressure to, you know, Apply the paint in different Gosh, shades. That's a real skill. Interesting. Andrew yeah. mentioned his finger. Is there? A, is it quite a, a, a manual? Well, you have to hold it like a gun. Yeah, yeah. You have to hold it like a gun. Yeah. Um, mm. So that may have something to do with it. But uh, what have you picked out then, Sam? What's one of yours on here? One of my favourites out of my four. I don't know if I should go in order of my favourites here, because um, I've got the whole gamut of, of Doctor Who and also the artwork here. Really, is um, Survival, which is one of uh, Alistair Pearson's covers. Oh yes. Um, uh, I suppose, really, when I was buying the books, I was buying into the whole canon. Everything had pretty much been published by the late 80s. So it was either the new stuff from Alistair Pearson or a whole mix of different artists. Um, so 
Alistair Pearson was, I think, the last person to work on the range of books, and this is the the artwork for Survival, which I think is a fantastic cover. It is. It's it's almost photorealistic in terms of how he's portrayed mm. the, the characters, and it's somewhat meta as well because what we've got on the picture are claw marks mm. down the artwork ripping through to the pages underneath yeah. which is incredible and whether that's actually been done to the artwork uh, and photographed or is painted I, I have no idea I believe it has really? I seem to remember reading something um, uh, Mr Pearson had said that he did have to take a Stanley knife to his own artwork to get that effect <laughs> but it looks great mm. and it's so striking um, and I don't know whether it's the last book to be published in the classic range. Possibly not, but um, yeah, well it's certainly a striking end in terms of the canon uh, ending the show. It's a lovely piece of work. There's also this the, the um, Alistair Pearson sort of uh, tick of him signing or putting someone's initials within the artwork. Oh yeah, yes. these are friends and colleagues who allegedly, <laughs> allegedly, <laughs> allegedly pay him money to put his their initials. Allegedly pay him money. Allegedly oh. pay him money. Thank you for that. This is this is our legal eagle here. Yes, yes. yes. allegedly, Mr. Pearson. Brown envelope. And this one's RV, so it's someone called um, Richard Valentine or yeah. whatever. But uh, it's their RV on the planet. Isn't that interesting? It's quite cheeky as well. I don't. Royce Vaughan. Very cheeky. Yeah. But quite fun. It's, it's, it's an absolutely fantastic cover, um, and uh, it's beautiful because it adopts some of the styling from the early Target novels where you would have Doctor Who maybe point, in pointillism in black and white whilst the action mm. takes place in colour around him, and what we have here is Sylvester McCoy very much in the background only in tones of red, whereas in the foreground mm. we have Ace and we have the cheetah person in full colour because mm. it's a story about them. So the, the focus is obviously on them and the yeah. doctors in the background. It's a nice, it's a very mysterious cover. It would make a beautiful poster. I think it's a tragedy that Alistair Pearson does not publish his work mm. uh, for us to buy as wall art because it's very hard to come by. It's very nice oh, as well. Right. I think it's um, uh, some of the best is the Pearson work. Uh, one of mine, OK, well, I'll, I'll start with, with my Jeff. Jeff Cummings, I always talk about the horror of Fang Rock as being my favourite of the whole range. Mm. It's so damn moody. It's just beautiful, and Tom looks great. Again, you mentioned uh, with Pearson, it's photorealistic. This is kind of quite similar. It really comes out as being just, um, you know, it really brings out Tom's face beautifully. He's got the bowler hat on. He's got the uh, number on his cheek, which, again, we, we've discussed this before, <laughs> haven't we? With, right. Why has he got 69 on his cheek? Huh. It has... It's there, you know. You can't dispute it. But it's it's so it's so moody, which suits the story. You know, I think this is quite a, a good point to make: is that if the artwork reflects the story within the book, then you're on a winner. Mm. And here it really does. You know, it, it's a very bleak and um, it's a it's a bit of a downer in terms of stories. Mm. But it's wonderful. But it's mm. everyone dies. You know, it's it's quite um, yes. quite dramatic, and the, the cover really sort of brings that out. So it's it's bloody gorgeous. I know that the, I know someone who the person who owns the original artwork, and it's you know, jealous isn't the word. You know, I'd love to have this on my wall, framed, uh, signed by the by the artist. Even Alan Rowe dies in that one. Isn't it? Indeed. There's no prints available. No. That's no. a shame. Well, again, I've, I've mentioned before that I bought time frame mm. to cut it up to take the, uh, the reproduction, and <clears throat> put it on my wall as a as a mini poster. That's uh, best I can do, but it's uh, it's gorgeous. Hmm. How did they come by the original? Uh, what the, the, the person I'm talking about? Mm. I think they just got in touch with Mr. Cummings. Right. 
Dear Mr. Cummings, can I buy some stuff off you? Mm. Jeff was was brassic, mm. as you know, artists tend to be, and mm. it was it was fine. Probably gave it away for what it'd be worth now. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was top dog actually. Right. Well, oh, very good. Next, well, I've selected um, the King's Demons, uh, which is a very good piece of cover art by David McAllister, I right. believe. Um, is he one of the lesser-known artists? Yes, I think so. It's, it's rather lully. It doesn't have Doctor Who on it, um, and it's, it, I just like the colour. It's a very nice shade of blue. It's a pale blue. Sky blue, I suppose you could call it. Yeah, it's almost like a teal, isn't it? Mm, Baby blue. Nice shiny chameleon on it. I remember, um, I can see it now in my mind's eye when I first saw this uh, Doctor Who book. Um, I was on holiday in Portugal, in um, um, Villa Mora with my family in 1987 and uh, I saw this uh, book in um, a, a hotel there which I thought was extraordinary because of course being in Portugal you wouldn't expect it and I went back to Villamore about 30 years later mm. and uh, of course it's an entirely English resort and entirely catering for, for the English it's a bit like um, Benidorm or one of those sorts of places so not that unexpected really but I did go back to that hotel <laughs> and um, uh, had a photograph reproduced of me uh, sitting in the same place where I'd sat as a nine-year-old. Um, very strange, very surreal to go back. I still remember the Doctor Who and the King's Demons I got there, so just for that nostalgic reason I picked this one. Fantastic. Is it, is it a good book, though? Um, I understand it's not particularly well-written. I, I probably read it when I was about nine years old, so I'm mm. not sure I can uh, not it matters, tell you. Of course. It's by Deadly Dudley, though, isn't it? Yes, that's right. It's not up there with Proust, that's for sure. But, uh, <laughs> but th this one's signed uh, by Isla Blair. So oh, yes. There we go. That's lovely. I met Isla Blair mm. about 15 years ago. Mm. Very nice lady. How tall is she? Uh, about five foot two, I think. Quite short. Yeah. Mm. Sam. The next one in my selection is uh, from uh, Andrew Skilleter. And this copy I bought brand new in Jura Bookshop in Jersey, I think in 1992. And at the time I thought it was an absolute steal because it's, a ninth, it's the first paperback edition of Doctor Who and the Gunfighters. And I bought it for the price that was on the back, which was £1.60. <laughs> so, but, of course, it had only been on the shelf for five years. But to me, as a ten-year-old, it was archive material that was still mm. selling at 1980s prices. They saw yeah. you coming. Yeah. So I, I, I paid just £1.60, where, at the time, paperbacks by then had gone all the way up to £2.50, I'll have you know. <laughs> Imagine it. Um, this is a fantastic cover um, from, from Andrew. Again, in his airbrush style, fantastic picture of William Hartnell mm. in a fantastic Stetson with stars yes. woven into his jacket. And there we have... Is it Wyatt Earp in the background? I think it might be Wyatt Earp. Don't know. Yes. With, it, with his two... It's with his Doc Holliday, That'll is do. it? No, it's Wyatt Earp, you're right. With his two pistols. Yeah. Uh, and it's a fantastic picture. I think Andrew's strengths for me, were always Cybermen, without a doubt. Mm. Oh, yes. He, he was the go-to man for doing Cybermen. Well, the Invasion was uh, one, wasn't it? The Invasion was one of his. And, of uh, course, the Cybermen Earthshock book. VHS. The Cybermen book with David Banks. And the Earthshock VHS, which is a, a, a stunning cover, isn't it? It's mm. looking up the chin mm. of the Cyber Leader, and you can mm. the detail is just it's fantastic. Lovely, yeah. It's a really lovely piece of work. Um, he just... 
he was very good at the technical work, the dimensions of anything mechanical he could absolutely get right. He was very good at doing K9 as well, actually. And I think it's because of the airbrush technique. He was very good at getting silvers and metals across. And, and it, yes, shiny, shiny, shiny elements. Yes, yes, yes. Um, impressive. Yeah. But in terms of people, he really could do William Hartnell justice as well. He was very good at capturing Hartnell's uh, likeness. Yeah. And Hartnell on this cover is fantastic. It's, it's from a publicity still, and I'm not sure which story, Charlie. It's quite a famous photo, I, I think. I was wondering the same thing. I think it uh, may well be this uh, uh, Web Planet. Is it from the Web Planet? I think it could be. Oh, so he's put the Stetson on. He's put the Stetson on. That's yeah, right. not a picture. Ah, yeah. It's Hartnell okay. with the five chins. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the five chins stop photographs. Yes. But it's a fantastic yeah. picture um, and a lovely cover. Uh, and again, neon logo blue like the King's Demons. Yeah. And it's, just cr- it's, it's a cracking picture. And also, there's a little bit of back, uh, so I suppose, shadowing towards um, one of the earliest Doc 2 covers, which I'll come to later. But these, these two covers are connected in my selection uh, The Gunfighters and the other one I'll be talking about shortly, mm-hmm. thematically. Mm-hmm. You tease. I know. <laughs> is it my turn? It is, Charlie. Well, I'll go for, the, for my Achilles. Choice. I mean, I could go for for Achilles covers because I think this, I, I just love his work. I got the prints at, at home. They're not on the wall anymore. The wife wouldn't <laughs> put up with that. But I've I've got them tucked away somewhere nice. Um, but of course, I one of my very first pieces of Doctor Who memorabilia was the Monster Book, mm. 1977, when oh, I was five. Yes. And of course, on the back of that, there was all the uh, targets to that point were reproduced in small thumb thumbnail sort of um, prints and they were all Achilles ah. and I had no idea what they were you know I was just but I'd, I'd look over I'd pour over this page or the back back cover for hours just wondering what on earth these things were mm. until later I realised that they were novelizations. but of course they uh, Dare the Daleks when I picked was on there um, which is, is great um, it was part of Achilles period where he was doing uh, the Doctors in black and white pointillist sort of style and the rest was, was full colour mm. around that portrait and when it brings out the portrait of the Doctor very nicely and, and this is a good one of, uh, of John in his 1970s uh, dress shirt <laughs> collars um, now you mentioned to me before Sam that you the, the Daleks have been nicked yes cribbed I, I'm not sure with Day of the Daleks whether they are cribbed but in terms of the Art Deco styling which he receives much credit for from, from fans for his artwork and it is beautiful he, that's not really his idea that that goes back to the comic strips TV Century 21 Century 21 particularly yeah. the later Dalek Chronicles I forget the artist but I think it may have been Clayton Hickman I'm not sure did some research um, and like for like, there are cells, there are blocks from the comic strips which line up perfectly oh. with the Daleks uh, from some of the uh, Achilles covers. Yeah. Stylistically, they're identical. Um, now, he's not copied and pasted, but what he's likely done is trace the reference points. But similar to the, the, the TARDIS on the Unearthly Child book cover, it's not the artist's fault if they're given yeah, reference yeah, yeah. photographs from the wrong show or the wrong era. Mm. Well, yeah, like work, work uh, with what they've got. Tomb mm. of the Cybermen has the wrong Cyberman on, doesn't it? It does. Yes, it's got an invasion Cyberman on the cover, and it's a lovely piece of artwork, but it's completely Jeff, wrong. Jeff, Jeff Cummings. Jeff, 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 yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Not his fault, but but this is lovely, and there's the exploding planets around um, John's face. 
it looks great, but all the Kilios st- stuff is is top notch. Is he still going? Yes, still he is. He's producing work now. Yeah. In this style. Right. Yeah. But I think his sword and sorcery was his thing, wasn't it? Really, Dante was a bit of a sideline for him. Ah, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, if you buy an Achilles book, it tends to be sword and sorcery, yes. tits and you know, tits and steel, curling stuff. Mm, yeah. uh, but this is this is gorgeous. Well, my oh, next choice is um, Ark of Infinity. I just love the way they've given an eight-year-old a pair of scissors. And that's Liar! <laughs> <laughs> to cut out Michael Goff and Peter Davidson. Um, no, it's not really. Um, <laughs> yes, if, if you don't get that, <laughs> go and take a look at the uh, novel cover. Yeah. I think you need to be uh, uh, over the age of 30 to get that joke. And mm. if, if you aren't over the age of 30, why are you listening to this podcast? <laughs> How have you got this far? Yeah. But somebody at Target well said, done. that'll do, you know. Yeah. Oh, that'll do. Yeah. Go to print. Shocking, isn't it, really? Well, Can I just I'm, say, before I'm, we go on to that, the actual quality of the photographs, not even the, the craftsmanship that was cutting the photographs out and placing them on very bland orange backgrounds, the quality of the images themselves are appalling. Modern undead, Peter Davison looking bored. Oh. <laughs> Read this book. Davo looks bored. Terminus, mm. picture of Peter Davison just staring into the into the distance. I can't even picture. Oh yes, he's by that. Uh, he's, he's bending the. Yeah, yeah that's right. Oh, there, there's Castro Vargas as well, isn't it? That's just a. It's a very close up. It's a close up shot of him looking over his shoulder, yeah. mm. and, and that's pretty much it. Earthshock, Doctor Who kneeling down with a gun, pointing at somebody you can't see. Yeah. Mm. And time flight. Oh, terrible. Oh. Mm. Doctor, oh. Doctor Who on Concord. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. We don't like photographic the, covers the, here, the, guys. The, the, Never mind that shit. Let's move on. Bad days. <laughs> I've gone with the Crotons, which is another Andrew Skilleter. Uh, it, so, just to briefly say, because you were talking about how he gets the Cybermen so right, because there's, there's a lot of reflected light on shiny things, isn't there? Mm. Like uh, silver things, and that, I, I imagine that must be quite difficult to, to paint, not being a painter. Um, but uh, the Crotons here are sort of almost, it has a luminescent quality. Mm. I think is awfully skillful and um, very well done. I do remember um, with the Crotons, I think it must have been round about when it first came out, um, I, I used to be taken to church by my mother every Sunday and um, <laughs> I was awfully bored and she used to allow me to take smuggle in a book to read <laughs> and I think she thought that maybe the other um, parishioners would think I was um, kneeling down and, and, and reading the Bible or something but I do remember the Crotons was... <laughs> One of the titles, Pyramids of Mars, is another that I distinctly remember kneeling down and reading in church. So yes, that's just another moment of uh, <laughs> memory. Hmm. It's a fantastic cover, and I, I really like the geodesic shapes in the background. Yes, it's, it's an interesting yes. backdrop. This hexagons, mm. isn't it? The, behind yes. the, of course, the head of a, a croton is hexagonal shaped. But as you say. Again, lots of technical detail there. And I think something that Andrew was very good at capturing was uh, shapes yeah. and proportions of things. Mm. And again, that um, airbrush style really lends itself. I guess that's what gives it that sort of luminescence. It looks like it's glowing, doesn't mm. it? Or almost really translucent. Like that's the airbrush. Yeah. Mm. It's great. I mean, I remember uh, it coming out and um, seeing the cover and thinking, I must buy that. You know, it was quite, it drew me in mm. when uh, obviously the received wisdom is it's a pretty piss poor story. But the cover is the, the, the cover is very, um, mm. very enticing. Mm. Mm. 
very interesting. Mm. How about you, Sam? Well, my next one is a classic, um, probably one of the most important covers in Doctor Who book history because it launched the range of target novelizations. It was, ah. This is effectively the reprint of the 1960s book Doctor Who and an Exciting Adventure with the Daleks, now rebadged Doctor Who and the Daleks, later rebadged Doctor Who, the Daleks. Yeah. So it's had a few different titles. But this is the 1973 uh, reprint, the one that launched the range of target novels with a lovely big, big, fat, black Doctor Who logo and the Daleks in pink with William Hartnell stood in the centre surrounded by 1960s star comic strip Daleks and a pink TARDIS. Yeah. I like it! <laughs> it's, it's absolutely yeah. wild. But it's art deco, it's bonkers, the proportions are all over the place, the dimensions are very strange. Mm. It's, it's almost like a 60s cover art piece. It's, it's inspired by the work of Frank Bellamy, I believe, who mm. did the artwork for the Radio Times for Day of the Daleks the year before this book came out, so they were trying to tie that style in. Bill Hartnell would have still been alive then, wouldn't he, just about? Yeah, he would have hopefully got some residuals from, mm. from this cover yeah. art. Um, what we have here uh, is an interesting point which Charlie picked up, is the number of fingers on Mr Hartnell's hands, which don't quite correlate. It's slightly like yeah. looking into an Escher painting when you try, try and count the fingers. <laughs> you find yourself folding back on themselves again, yeah. but yeah. ignoring that, mm. it's a wonderful piece of art. Was the artist not borrowing from Da Vinci and play? Because Hartnell has the, the Mona Lisa with his enigmatic smile, isn't it? Exquisite. That, well, no, that, that's also a stock photograph. That's from uh, Cecil Toymaker. Right. Okay. Well, well, well spotted. Mm. Um, and a nice detail um, between the two is that uh, I mentioned the gunfighters earlier, and um, gunfighters printed a good uh, ten uh, years after Doctor Who and the Daleks. And Andrew Skeletor as, in the, the deep, rich blackness of the frock coat of Hartnell, mm. puts stars and, and yes. space dust. Yeah. And we have the same in Doctor and the Daleks, which is planets and stars, and it's beautifully stylistic. It's completely over the top, mm. but it just works um, on a very basic white canvas. It's its simplicity which I adore. Mm. Black logo, white background, line art, some very bold graphic colours. Mm. And it just works. It's basically pop art, isn't it? Yes, it, it took is. me two goes to read that, you know. I found, I found the first person to touch austere, and it starts with a car crash, doesn't it, with Ian Chesterton's involved in a car crash. Is mm. that right? Is it's, that it, it, it basically rewrites Doctor Who mythos. It has it's to introduce the whole concept. It's fantastic. Mm. Uh, and it's all written in the first person, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, because I was a bit, whoa, what's this, when I was used to reading the, the Terry Dix, yeah. Doctor Who and Kinder, for example, and then going into... The Daleks. It's yeah, no different. It, it was. It was a bit too, too much of an adjustment for me. It's, but I did read it in the end. It's still probably one of the best Doctor Who novels ever. Written. Yes, I mm. agree. Yeah, it's it's, a, it's very very good um, and a, a beautiful piece of cover art. So um, thank you, Chris Achilleos. Yes, indeed. Well done. Is it my turn again? I'm looking at uh, Death of the Daleks. I think it's Roy Knipe. Right. Um, which is that's explosive. You're talking about about. Eye-catching. This is the most eye-catching cover you're ever going to come yeah. across because it's just a Dalek in close-up exploding from, from the head. <laughs> <laughs> it's a headshot. And this was used by Target to uh, promote the range. I think it was a poster. Really? Right. With, with the, 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 some, uh, some yes, random right, covers around the, yes. the edges. But this was the, the, the background to that poster. Yes, this. Right. I had that poster. I did too. Did well, the poster come out before the book or after the book? Oh, well after. Right. This is the 80s, yeah. Right, okay. yeah, But it was so, obviously, so... Um, it's like a, a slap in the face 
You got it there. Great, yeah, it's got yeah, it on so the back cover. Fantastic poster offer. Actually, you can write to WH Allen. Just send two pound fifty, one pound twenty five for each additional poster. That's cheap. Allow twenty eight days for delivery. Well, let's get our order in. Twenty eight <laughs> days. Do they have a website, Greg? Um, doesn't say. <laughs> but they are on Twitter. So. <laughs> <laughs> in these days of Amazon same day delivery. Yeah. Yeah. Twenty eight days I is know. like an age. Yeah, yeah. Especially for a child. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. But it's lovely. It's lots of oranges and reds and whites. And the Dalek is actually firing there as well. Yeah. I've never noticed that. Well, that's that's uh, always here. Yeah. Yeah. An error. It is. Yeah. But it looks great, and it's it doesn't pack any punches. It doesn't pull any punches. It goes straight in for the jugular. Yeah. Daleks exploding. Yeah. This is going to be great. Just what it says. Please on the buy team. this book. I particularly like how the the eyepiece is overly large to give it some kind of perspective as mm. if the Dalek is looking out as if it's book. flying off and into your face <laughs> yes <clears throat> can, can you imagine the, the noise that this was making at the time this Dalek it was going <laughs> I have to say actually though that's um we've, we've had a few Daleks already uh, in our lists here mm. uh, the two um, uh, Chris Achilleos uh, Dalek covers this is probably the first one that we've spoken about, which has a really good likeness of what the Daleks look like. Technically, it's, yeah. it's bang on, isn't it? It is bang on, yeah. yeah. In fact, you can even see sort of the, the cheap sort of kibbling of the metalwork around the, uh, mm. around the, the stalks. It, it's, it's so um, photorealistic. Yeah. And you've got the, the studio lights reflected in the... Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> nice it's track. clearly a studio shot, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. It is a good cover. Yeah. Do you still have the poster, Charlie? Uh, I'm sure I do, somewhere. Hmm. I couldn't tell you where it was. In storage somewhere. somewhere. In storage, thank you. <clears throat> well, I, I will round that with the, the Myth Makers. Uh, uh, being a classicist, uh, th this appealed greatly to me, because it's a depiction of the Trojan horse, which was, of course, in the, um, in the actual, used in the actual Doctor Who story. I wonder, do the telesnaps survive? How close no. is that to... I, well, it, it, they do. There's pictures of the <coughs> of the horse, and also I think the horse also still exists. So would part. Andrew Skilleter, oh, wow. um, would he have copied from the actual... Undoubtedly. That, that is, source material. That is um, faithful to That's the original. That's pretty accurate. Yes, it is. Because yeah. I often wondered, because it, it's, it's pretty much entirely missing, isn't it, the Myth Makers? So, it's, well, there's little bits of, of, mm. um, of footage off the screen taken. But otherwise, yes, it's it's missing entirely. But so there are, there's no snaps, John Cura snaps, but there are um, photographs taken, I think, on set. So yeah, that that is correct. Oh, that's right. And um, you've got the TARDIS just materialising into view, which is always very exciting. So it's kind of marriage between the um, Greco-Roman world and the uh, the Doctor Who universe. It's not Greco. Always, uh, you could say Greco, 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 Greco. El Greco, El Greco. Mm. Long, long faces appeal to me. <laughs> <laughs> long faces, like a horse. Oh, there you go, the Myth Makers. Hey. <laughs> oh, very good, Sam. <laughs> and what's your final choice? My final choice is um, uh, Doctor Who and the Planet of the Daleks, uh, the original. Uh, I think this one is 1976. Let's have a look at the publication date. Uh, yep, 76. And this is uh, Chris Achilleos again. Yeah. Uh, a bit further on down the line, we've got the lovely, um, slightly modified version of the diamond logo. What would you call it? The arch logo, maybe? Mm. So it's a Doctor Who, mm. the arch. Trifle Doctor. arch, like Colin Baker. And the cover is just sublime. This is pure Dan Dare comic strip. Yeah. Unforgiving. Mm. Um, and this time, uh, Mr. Achilleos has 
actually rendered a Dalek himself from some production stills, and it shows uh, Mr. Pertwee, I think, in his best outfit, the, the, the purple double-breasted velvet. Oh, yes. It really set off his hair, did beautiful. beautiful contrast. Looking like, like Rod Hull, thing thing? Uh, no, no. <laughs> I think he looks fine. I think he looks like Mr. Pertwee there. And, um, like, like Rod Hull trying to adjust his uh, aerial for the, for the football. <laughs> oh, sure, sure, sure. And uh, Bernard Horsfall um, there, and... There's a lovely uh, planet in the background, and these explosive meteorites and smoke and God knows what else. It's just an action-packed picture of Doctor Who wrestling a Dalek. You can't really ask for much more. Doctor Who and Bernard Horsfall do wrestle a Dalek in that story, don't they? So is there a photograph of that? That is, yeah, from the the it on, yeah. Yeah. And unlike uh, Charlie's cover of The Death of the Dalek, that's a location photograph, I believe, that Mm. they've Mm. used. So it just looks fantastic, and the Dalek is is absolutely bang on. The light shining off the baubles is nice. It's always nice to have light shining off the walls. So, <laughs> I, I, that's my number one, I, I think. Uh, I'd love to have a print of that. I don't know if it's available, but I think Chris Achilles does have a website. So, yeah, it, it does have a range. I, I, so I did buy a lot, not all of them, but a lot of them when they quite, came out. Quite pricey, aren't they? Yeah, there, there were some that he, he'd lost the original. It's like Day of Daleks wasn't released because he'd lost the original print. Right. And so he couldn't do that. I think that came out later, but I don't think it was from the original. So that in particular, I don't know if that is a, available or not, but... Bellman's check it out. I think I might, might like to have a copy. Nice to have on the wall. Um, so yeah, that's that's my number one target novel from the classic range. In terms Very of nice. covers. Very nice. Well, I'll finish off with an Andrew Skeleta, which is the uh, Twin Dilemma. Now we're talking about um, before about um, the cover. Does the cover really reflect the quality of, of what's inside? And, and on this occasion, I think it does. It's a really good book. You know, mm. My favourite um, of Eric's oeuvre. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a rubbish story, we all know mm, that, but yeah. that's down, I think, more to the production and the decisions made um, on the screen, the acting mm. choices, whatever else. But as a story, it's convoluted, but I think it, it works quite nicely. Uh, but here, again, going back to your point, Greg, is that I think that um, Andrew uh, is at his best when he's dealing with, with shapes and, and, and non-human faces. And here we've got um, the um, Edwin Richfield. Edwin Richfield. Edwin Richfield mm. with his mask on. Yes, do you know he died in 1990? Did he really? He was also in the Sea Devils. Yeah, one of your favourites. That's right. Edwin Richfield. We love him. We mm. love Edwin. We do. Um, but it's it's quite, again, it's quite moody. It's mm. quite airbrushed, which is obviously um, adds a certain sheen to the whole thing. Um, but I think it's really nice. Uh, and it, um, again, as with the Crotons at the time, it really sort of drew me in. It was a yes. book I had to buy that book, you know. That is exciting. That, that looks intriguing. I'm it's going to purchase that green color, read it in it? one sitting. Mm. Yeah. I remember seeing it for the first time, if, if I can put in before you, you wound up. But the the, um, the seeds on it, or the uh, the eggs, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I remember I used to stare and stare and stare at that, because I'd never seen the, uh, or I hadn't until transmission, uh, seen the story. I used to wonder if they were sort of, all connected and tumbling together or like a roll of carpet or something because ah, yeah. um, yeah. I didn't know what they were mm. did you not see the Blue, Blue Peter um, episode where there was one of these as a prize oh right signed by Colin Baker I'm sure it's on the DVD as an extra but I remember it at the time um, what the copy of the book you, no you can win a gastropod egg oh an egg as the prop yeah right. that was the prize for a, a competition oh, right. and being <gasps> gastropod eggs they were like giant suppositories don't they oh, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't want to have that in the back. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, mm. Doctor Who and the uh, 
and the anal fishes. <laughs> Signed by Colin Baker. Who <laughs> we are, Mrs. Colin Baker. Yeah. I mean, we're so there are literally hundreds of Doctor Who Target covers you can choose from. Charlie was just saying before we came came on air that he has about eight different versions of the demons, mm. and I think all of the versions of the demons are interesting in their own way, aren't they? They're, mm. And they're very different. Mm. We. The, there's different versions of Planet of the Daleks, there's different versions of uh, An Unearthly Child from different artists. What's your favourite Target novelisation cover and why? And let us know on Twitter. Well, now we've got a very special guest on the podcast in part one of a two-part interview. Who is it, Greg? Well, we're talking to the, the, the man whose artwork uh, helped draw us in to the, to the world of Doctor Who, especially the history of Doctor Who, and we were growing up and we, we, we hadn't seen all the 60s stuff. Um, he's done the books, videos, large form- format books, uh, all kinds of uh, things. It's um, Andrew Skilleter. You are authorised to use the mind probe. What? The mind probe. No, not the mind probe. Hello? Oh, hello, Andrew. <clears throat> it's Greg here. Hello, Greg. Oh, there you are. Hello, I can see you. Uh, we'll, we'll ask then about because um, you've been working on um, with Who Dares publishing on the Doctor Omega Chronicles lately. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it was something I picked up on. It was um, it's a public domain character, and as I think you um, some people know, it was already been um, used by other publishers or at least one main publisher in America. And uh, John Peel had done some stories for it, and. Uh, one thing led to another, and I thought, well, I've got a new angle on it, and I was quite excited about. And uh, for those who don't know, it's, uh, Dr. Omega was picked up by the human community, some of it, because the line drawings of Dr. Omega had an uncanny resemblance to William Hartnell. Right. And, which is really strange. It really is uncanny. Hmm. And the fact that he's, um, the way he's in you know, he's a science fiction character, and uh, he has these companions on his space on his spacecraft. is is strange, and there is speculation that did this influence the creator? You know, as it did this. Um, but anyway, I, I picked up on it and thought of expanding it. And I introduced this character called uh, Miss Midnight, who's a kind of aviatrix from the 1920s. Well, she isn't really, she's a time traveler, but she and Dr. Omega get together and they're like chalk and cheese, you can imagine. Uh, he's a bit restrained and elderly and she's very, very free spirit. And um, so we developed, uh, so John took over the main writing duties on this and we did a few novels. And um, the, it, it's, it's got a sort of plan ahead, but unfortunately, Dr. Um, Who Dares has hit a bit of a hiatus at the moment. It's gone rather quiet since my move last year. Oh. And we've got to, we weren't reaching an, a big enough public with the books because that's not a strong area for us. Right. And we thought, we thought we've got to do something about this and, and find um, better distribution. Hmm. for these because we put all this work in and we're not really getting the readership that it deserves so that is where we are on it at the moment Ah, so what's the next step then have you have you got um plans in motion or you're just talking with john's actually written 
another two or three books. So right. it's a question of not um, of finding the right outlets for it, uh, either collaborating or um, finding distribution. It, but it's got to be wider than just our our little core. We follow mm. the website and and so on. We haven't got it out there in any stores or anything. It's a strictly mail order and oh, uh, from the side. Yeah, but I, like you say, the resemblance to William Hartnell is uh, is uncanny because you can see that in in your um, illustrations for it. And uh, yeah, it's yeah, uncanny. It is. Yes, and I, of course, I mean, obviously, I played up on that. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to make that little Doctor Who connection because to interest people, and I thought it would be it would be a good way of kind of bringing people in. Yes, and um, and uh, so everyone, you know, there's quite a few public domain characters out there that have people have played with and it, it it's they, they they create their own little universe for it for him or her mm. and um it's quite it was quite fun to do you know and i as far as the miss midnight character she's also independent so i have got a project in mind very much oh. for her and um something that is outside the doctor who universe um but it it's it needs to. Um, I, I'm just working on it until it's ready to start to expose it, you know, and then I'll see how that goes. Oh, but it's all right. down to finding an audiences, you know. You 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 oh. have a, a core of people, but you need to you need to find audiences. That's what people find with um, you know Kickstarter and yes. things like that. You, it's it, you've got to be realistic and <laughs> and 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 get it get the news out there and hopefully enthuse people yes. about it. You know? Yes, of course. Yes. So you've got your your website as well that you keep on on top of and people can find out sort of, what, you, what you're doing of. on there. Yeah, and, it's, uh, it's a good website. I yeah. we've got. Uh, I've mixed up the store and the gallery, so I've got all these items available as prints uh, from different genres. And, and and literally hundreds of prints and and for uh, most of my target covers and VHS, not all of those, but mm. others. And um, but it's also a gallery, so people can just you know, the images are good enough to just browse without yes. buying, you know. So yes. it mixed it up because there's no as I've got so many available as prints, there's no point in having a separate gallery really. And um, yes. you know, so. Um, so that's that's how that works and and yeah I mean I try to kind of keep on top of it but I do find uh, I know what I want to do with social media and I get a little bit of help here and there but mm. it is it is difficult I think my temperament is such I find it difficult to keep on top of it as much as I might because obviously I'm of a generation that didn't grow up with it yeah so and I've, I've had to um, get more and more familiar with it I get great ideas for it but um, mm. I kind of find that suddenly, oh, I haven't done anything for a few weeks, or, yeah. you know? <laughs> and um, so I mean, trying to do Instagram as well. Oh, uh, yes. That was that's got a bit patchy, mm. but uh, 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 I will get back to it because <laughs> I get busy and and you you go off message. You know? Yes, yes. Well, we do the same for our our humble podcast. You know, we we do a little bit on Twitter and things like that, but. Not really well, anything yes, like as much as I we was on Twitter, to. but it's 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 it, uh, then I because of various issues I went 
I thought, okay, Instagram because of visuals, you yes. know, because it's, yes. it's. It, I think with Twitter, you almost need to keep with it all the time, like a conversation. Yes. Whereas with Instagram, it's not quite so important. I mean, the images are there for people to enjoy or, yes. or discuss. So. Yes. And do you know your your Instagram handle? Uh, where people can find you on Instagram? It's. I think it's at Andrew Skeletor. Okay. Mm, yes, I know. I'm. I'm certainly following you, and um, um, and on your website, it's a capital A and a capital S. It's these sort of things that I find um, intimidating. Yeah. <laughs> but the website, the website is a wonderful trip down memory lane, especially for um, people like us. I mean, I'm I'm 41 in a couple of weeks, so you know, I was a, I was a teenager when um, some of the books were coming out, and certainly when the videos were coming out, and so on, and. Uh, yeah. We grew up seeing seeing all of these covers. So, so you um, caught the videos on the VHS. Oh yes, very much so. It played a played a huge part in all our lives. So uh, just wondering if you could yeah. tell us how you how you got involved in the first place because it was books to begin with, yeah. wasn't it? And I think and then yes, yes, I, that, that's really uh, started the whole trip mm. um, because uh, it's a well known story that I I wasn't looking for Doctor Who work and it right. came to me mm. through uh, WH Allen when I was. In those days, as an illustrator, you did cold calling, tried to get interviews with art directors. So I'd, I'd be down in Bournemouth and I'd be traveling to London, trying to do two or three in a day, whizzing around with the portfolios. Uh, and uh, and um, so with WH Allen and Mike Brett, that's how it started. He started me off on something completely different. And then he said, would you like to have a go at Doctor Who? And uh, I've often joked, I thought it was because I was cheap. But uh, <laughs> I, think, I think in some ways, well, of course, I didn't, I didn't have a price plan then. It was just whatever the publishers would pay. But there certainly was a situation where the agents were very strong. Mm. And if you had an agent, they would represent you. And they, I think all their artists would be more expensive. Mm. And some of the art directors didn't really like agents very much. It was a love-hate relationship. <laughs> and I think they were quite attractive with new people coming in. They could, they could kind of have more direct contact with them. Oh. And, um, and then that would be... Um, and of course, you know, it, it was, it was uh, obvious that at the beginning they were, they were doing, paying me less. Mm. But then it crept up quite quickly in, in increments. You know, so it, you know it, it didn't really matter. It was still reasonably good. I mean, the fees back then were reasonably good, and they are uh, pretty bad on the whole now with most media. Well, I think most things. I think musicians have suffered, and I think nearly all artistic, creative people have suffered, with the big exceptions. You know, you get the big exceptions, but the, you know, the run of the you know, run of the mill, the, the day to day um, fees have been suppressed because of digital quick speed and everything it's a shame i mean we bemoan the fact that you don't really get much artwork on books or dvds or whatever these days it's often just sort of cgi composite photoshopped images and in films you don't get the model work it's mostly just cgi now and it's yes. we, we, we feel that's a real shame you know it's, it's, it's something it's very evocative miss, about the miss artwork the, um, in film in movies they they, they they miss the uh model making side i think there is a mm something about them that is um, special, you know, and it's done really well. 
and uh, and Doctor Who did very well at times with model making. It was very impressive for its period. And, uh, uh, so I don't know whether the, everything is now done in in CGI or whether any model making goes on. Um, Seems to be very limited. You know? <laughs> I'm not entirely sure, but it's definitely very, very limited, which I think is a shame. I think it's, it's lost. Yeah, lost I mean, it's been a, there's been a little bit of like vinyl and music. There's been mm. a little bit of a, a sort of pull, a pushback. Yes. And so that that I have heard that you know certain things are being done. up. we're going to make models for this, you know, yes. and and so there's always that kind of analog thing around, which I find with artwork. I mean, well, I can do digital, but. With artwork, I did a little stint, but when it comes to my own personal artwork now, I've gone really back to basics, and um, I'm just working very traditionally with a very limited amount of materials, whether it's right. brush, acrylic inks, or brush pens and inks. A bit of definitely a bit of comic strip style coming in. Oh. Not a lot of people have seen that yet, but that, that's something I like much and I like um, discovering a lot of retro stuff I mean I'm retro but mm. it's really retro or, yeah. or rather I, I love all the um, space opera sort of 1940s 1950s probably largely American art that, that was around and uh, the very flamboyant side of it and that's influencing me a bit with my own personal projects but uh, I'm going off message here a bit no no not at all it's <laughs> Yeah, it's good to hear. We're, so, we're all big vinyl enthusiasts and enthusiasts of old school as well. And I guess as an artist, it's good to have the different skills so that you've got lots of things that you can contribute to. You know, it's no, it's no secret that I, I, I dropped out of the mainstream of illustration now. I mean, it was something that is just sort of crept up on me. And I, I realised it was such a battle that um, it wasn't really. So I'm really just working... With uh, with what I've done, and then trying to get do new things within that direct to public. So doing mm. limited things in a limited mm. way, um, and then I do my private commissions, which are not always Doctor Who. They may be other genres, mm. so um, or crossovers. Sometimes crossovers, and um, so uh, um, yeah. So that's that's how I kind of keep going, and. Uh, um, and so I'm, 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 I'm I can't, I, I, some years ago I dropped the airbrush because that used to be a big part of my yes, technique, yeah, right, my, right. Uh, my armoury if you like, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, some of the major, like the uh, video covers, VHS covers would be layers and layers of um, acrylic ink on there, so the originals sort of have a vibrance, a, a brilliance, yes. which uh, my earlier garage style didn't. And uh, so I was very kind of, I developed that completely. Later 80s, I, I moved to acrylics. Mm. And um, it was very hard work, but uh, I, I did it. And of course, acrylic ink is brilliant to um, airbrush, you know. Right. But um, I, in the end, I, I decided it was, um, I gave it up, had a bit of trouble with my finger. So I, I, right. I, I, I just decided, well, I've done it so many years that... Mm. You know, I gave it up, <laughs> as a lot of art artists have. But of course, they tend to um, be working entirely digitally. You know, yeah, I mean, I have a bit of an issue with with with, um, uh, with the modern comic strips in the sense that I feel the um, digital colouring mm. 
years in, having been brought up and actually done it myself, I've actually coloured other artists' work in the past, traditionally, mm. and um, is that I find the colouring is very samey and mm. and I don't really like the overuse of effects with line arts and colour. I, I just got a very particular angle on that. Yes, I, I think it needs more of a human touch as well. And, um, you know, we think of things like your very evocative uh, cover art for the David Banks Cybermen book. And we're, we're, yes, that was, that was uh, maybe talk epic. About, yes. In a moment. But <laughs> were, you, um, were you, a just before I ask about that, were you a sort of a science fiction fan? I'm thinking sort of going back to the start of your career, you were saying you were you know, hawking your wares around. Uh, were you glad to get the Doctor Who gig or would you would you rather have been was, painting landscapes? It was, or? it was strange because at the time, uh, you see, I've always been a bit of a... Uh, I, I've always been interested in a wide range of things, which is so I can be... Uh, I can be, so, that's a fantastic colour strip, or that's a fantastic bit of illustration, or that's a fantastic stylized bit of illustration. <laughs> yeah, and I've always been interested in just nice images. Mm. And I, I, I have been pushed and pulled a bit this way and that way. And, and I tend to sort of find that the uh, commissioning process was helpful in the sense that it would present you with a problem which you've got to find a solution to. Mm. And... I, I found myself working across different different genres and areas, you see. So it just happened that when I bumped into Doctor Who, I'd been doing work that was extremely not science fiction. Oh, right. Okay. Um, so it was, it was like very, very detailed, and it was very... Um, I'd done a book project that was very uh, sort of uh, Renaissance art, sort of um, pastiche. Mm. And you couldn't get it further away. Mm. So... I was still painting quite sort of mm, very carefully, quite on a small scale, mm. and that's why the originals, the early originals of Targets, are are really same size as the covers, very small. Oh, really? Small. As small as that? Good grief, right? Yeah. yeah. So they, so obviously, great uh, originals look fantastic when they're really big. Yeah. I mean, you know, they do. I used to walk into art directors' rooms and. And, and I'd have I'd have my little thing, and then some illustrator would have painted an oil painting about <laughs> three foot high for a cup. And I just—it's just temperamental, isn't it? It's just temperaments. It's just—it's yes. whatever way you like to work. You know? and, and, um, and do you retain all the originals? Because we, we we've been talking about this about uh, all all your target novelization covers and the VHS covers, and so do you, do you still have all the originals? And do they do they get exhibited at all? No, all my. All my artwork is spread all over the place, including this uh, America, right. but mostly UK collectors. Ah, so, yeah, yeah uh, over the years, it, just about everything has gone. Mm. I've got three originals, which is two, two three, or they're all from the late calendars that, that Who Dares did and I did. Ah, yeah. And so I've got the, um, I've, I've got a Tom, ba I've got a Colin Baker one, mm. which is a, these are really large, complex well-finished acrylic paintings and they're really the biggest I've done. Mm. I sold one to a special effects guy, well-known special effects guy in America on a movie, he was working on a movie and it, I sold, sold one to him. I had four of these and um, and the other three still remain because I suppose because they're on the higher price range mm. but people have come near to buying them and I hope they will eventually mm. but um those are the only three i've actually got now Goodness, so right. the 
the VHS ones, um, the Target ones went a long time ago, most of them, from me, and far too cheap. <laughs> so, so people have got healthy and they've made a nice little mu- bit of money on those. <laughs> are, they, are they just with private collectors then? Would they just be on somebody's bedroom wall somewhere? Or, yeah. Private collectors, oh, yes. Okay. And they're people just like yourself, right. you know, who grow up the work and, yeah. and they've been able to afford to do it. It's one or two people who... Mm surprisingly uh you know came in quite early when they were quite young and picked up a few mm. how they managed it i don't know but i suppose they weren't particularly highly priced at the time mm. i think chris achilleos says the same he always says that he's a, he, he sold stuff earlier on at ridiculous prices but right. then his prices were always higher than mine anyway oh, so right. uh, <laughs> you know um <laughs> but um yeah, uh, so the, the uh, and then the video covers went, and then, of course, I had a lot of book artwork, and gradually, yeah. bit by bit, it all goes out there. Yeah. But it is people who, um, the profile is, I guess, that mm. 30, 40 age group, maybe, yes. and, and then yes. the, the oldies, yeah. who are sort of like, um, were older when they, when they, uh, they wanted it. But mm. the strange thing about collectors is that they're, they're, they, they're not what you'd think they, they are, they're not. They're not the bankers, the solicitors, the mm. the dentists. There are a few of these, but, yeah. but they're just ordinary folk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just decide to they who may have saved passion. up, or grannies died, and they've got a bit of a bit of inheritance money coming in, that sort of thing. And it's, or it's, um, just they simply don't have a holiday. They perhaps yeah. don't forego some of the things, yeah. which is what I do. I think I just I sometimes forego other things because it gives me a bit more time, a bit more freedom. Or something like that. But it's, it's lovely to have because it's um, it's a part of the Doctor Who universe that nobody else has, um, and it's uniquely well, there. So unique. I, I can, I can see the appeal. The I can see why people invest in them. And um, yes. um, like we go around the, the locations where they used to film it and things like that, and that's a free way of doing a similar sort of thing. Although obviously you can't take the the bricks and mortar away with you. I'll ask you about um, the David Banks book because we we were very lucky to to speak to David uh, earlier in our season. He was before before the the, um, the camera was rolling. He was telling us uh, how fulfilling it was working with you on that book. And then we meant to pick it up when it was filming again, and then um, uh, and we didn't. Uh, so he said, "Oh, I." He emailed me later and said, "I, I really regret that I didn't uh, say how great it was working with Andrew on that project." So, <laughs> So I thought, well, whilst we've got you, you mentioned that in his email to me. See, we we met by chance at a convention, and that's how the Cyberman book developed. Mm. And then from that point onwards, we've remained, you know, close friends. So, uh, you know, sometimes the contact has been less than others, but some years, but we always remain close. And then more recently, I think we've. uh, we're having more contact again, um, and uh, and and he is getting out more with um, doing interviews, and he's got big mm. finish now, and yeah. and he's done various extras, you know. Yeah. And, um, so his profile is definitely consistently consistent and going up. Yeah, no, it's, it's great. <laughs> yes, he hasn't made. We 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 are good friends, which is why uh, iceberg happened you know it was yes. his his novel and he yes. he stipulated that i should be doing the cover and That's then he, great, yeah. he he art directed the cover really and so oh, we okay. worked on it <laughs> he supplied me with the reference of the girl he wanted on it on the cover and right. so really that he was 
very involved with that, although it was Virgin Books. Yeah. <laughs> Peter Darvel Evans at the time just let that happen, you know. Yes, because you'd done a few of the new adventures, hadn't you? And I, I wondered if it was just coincidence that you happened to work with David again. So it's it's good to know that... Uh, I think, well, because of David, because he only did the one novel. That's a, that's yeah. a shame of it. Yeah. And, uh, um, and um, I did do a few... I did do the uh, first four new adventures. Hmm. So... Um, that was, uh, and then I got to do David's, and I got to do a missing adventure, the with Gary Russell's novel, mm. and um, that was what was it called? Was it Cat's Cradle? Cat's Cradle. Cat's Cradle. It was what with the morphed, the, the morphed Silurian figure oh. on, and a little boy, John Pertwee. Yeah, Scales of Injustice. Scales of Injustice, we think it might have been. Scales of Injustice, you've got it. <laughs> I, I was yeah. there, I bought work. it when I was 15. Teamwork there, you see, the three of us. I don't know. It's, <laughs> yes, it's <laughs> the hybrid um, Sea Devil and Silurian. Ah, yeah, yes. that, and that was um, Gary sending me very early, very early, I should think, sort of Photoshoppy thing to sort of work from. So he actually gave me the how it should look. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, uh, being a missing adventure, the artwork went missing, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, so it should have been called a missing artwork. Mm. But they, and Gary's not very happy about that because he would have loved to have had it. Yes. And, uh, and, and Andrew, would... is that the cover with um, Liz Shaw in an outrageous yeah. cinema? So, good hat. <laughs> so it just completely went missing? Fantastic hat. It's a nice. Yeah, I've got. Fortunately, I've got a good digital image of it, but oh. uh, of the artwork. But the artwork, along with others, obviously, yeah, there's quite a lot of few targets missing, including some favourites. Mm. And um, I think all the videos came home, mm. but a few of the Virgin um, things didn't. But it, I, well, I think that was the only only a, one. A few people with light light fingers have taken them. Do you think? It's like um, I mean, there's a Doctor Who it's story, the, the City of Death, of in which artists being lazy and mm. not chasing their originals when they should. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> I oh, think a lot of artists, uh, illustrators working for themselves, will tell you mm. they're always concerned about the next job. Yeah. And it's very easy to suddenly find six months has gone by yeah. and you haven't done anything about it. And it's that inertia. <laughs> it enables um, it enables things to go missing one way or the other. You know? Yeah. So, uh, you know, but it's a shame with that, with that one because I think Gary would really have liked it. You know, mm. he's got some pieces of mine and and other other artists, and um, mm. and um, it was a shame, you know, because. Wow. Uh, it was a, it, you know, because I think he requested that I should do that cover. Well, we'll say, like... we'll say on this podcast <laughs> if anyone knows where it is. Uh, yes, yeah, well, it's got the messages have gone out, but nothing ever mm. happens. It's a bit, it's awkward, isn't it? Because yeah. people sometimes end up with these things, and they they think, oh dear, well, I'll just keep quiet, you know. Yes. I'm not, I'm not sort of, you know, broken up by it, when in a sense, but um, it would be nice if it came back. Yeah, quite. <laughs> yeah, but you had a. You seem to have quite a yen for um, painting Cybermen with the, the brilliant cover for the it's, Cybermen story. It's, I, mean, I think and Earth Shock the, and the VHS. Yeah, I was, take, I was taken with um, mm. with the new uh, Imagineering um, design for Cybermen. Right. Yeah. Earth Shock. Yeah. And then from that time onwards, I was very taken with them, and uh, particularly with Richard Gregory's design. Yes. And, yes. and then. Uh, so, but actually, it was a rod to my own back because they are they are quite complicated to 
draw and to paint. Uh, um, mind you, not as bad as Daleks. I mean, oh, really? <laughs> uh, they, they are they are so hard for me. Some some people can do them just like that, but I find Daleks incredibly hard to do because they're so technical. Yes, you've got well, you've got them on got... the the Doctor Who omnibus uh, cover. Yes, that's that's a very good one with super three Daleks. I think. Yeah. So yeah. yeah but... That was a generic cover, just brief to just yeah. cover no particular story, just mm. just a may, mayhem and fire and Daleks, right. and uh, and uh, and I thought that was that was sorry, uh, like a lot of those earlier targets. There's no airbrush in this. Mm. It's all gouache technique, and mm. and it's, it's it's it's. I think that Dalek, the front Dalek, is is very one of my better ones. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's a very striking a image. Yeah. And one thing we one thing we we're working to ask because there's um, people tell different stories about this, but there were two covers for the Twin Dilemma, um, one with Colin yeah. Baker's face on it and one without. And uh, Colin Baker claims that he sort of suggested there might be a fee for the for the BBC using his face, so it was quite quickly withdrawn, and and you supplied another without Colin Baker's face. So that's right. Which is better? Yeah. Um, but it, did uh, did but you get paid he, twice? He, or? I think. I think WH Allen were always watching the Bucks, <laughs> and if they could avoid paying anybody anything, right. uh, they, they 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 would. Or it might have been um, a mixture of you know a bit of politics, a bit of um, uh, you know things get you know over copyrights, things get complicated, and sometimes it can mean delays and stuff like that. And I think maybe it was easier to pay me for the cover because I got paid for the first cover right. and to commission a new one. Okay, and then that's, so you, that's what. But you you were properly remunerated for supplying the. Oh the yeah. Ah, that's yes. right. There's no question of uh, of that not happening when you're working with. I was lucky enough to 99% work with respectable people, and uh, so they um, uh, there was actually a structure because the Association of Illustrators came in in, in the 70s. Um, uh, they were already well. Chris Achilles had a lot to do with it. To, to fighting to um, to make sure that the artist got their originals back. Mm. So you know we we can thank Chris a lot for that. I think mm. because he really was up there at the beginning fighting for that. And so uh, illustrators before a certain point in the seventies never saw their artwork or even thought they'd get it back. Mm. From my when I started working, it was just. A fact, you got your original back. Yes. It was your copyright, and you had uh, they had the cover usage, and then there was a structure for because occasionally, in ones you know, every artist occasionally covers don't work out, maybe marketing doesn't like them, something like that. And sometimes, they, you have a pay structure, you get a half fee mm, that, right. that hardly ever happens, yeah. and certainly in that case. It, it didn't happen. It was just paid for. As, as a non as a non painter, I'm um, a non illustrator. It's it, it's shocking that um, there was even a time where you might the artist might not have got their work back. I never knew that was the case at all. Well, all my heroes, you see, I grew up with, they never got any of their work back. <laughs> right. You know? right. It's strange, isn't yeah. it? It's really weird. I all because I was very influenced. You asked earlier about the science fiction thing. Yeah. I went off message on that. Yes, I, I was uh, being a, <clears throat> if I could dare 
mention that I'm a creature of the 50s. Um, I grew up with uh, Journey into Space and Eagle Comic and Dan Dare and all that stuff. Oh, and uh, obviously that, I was always fascinated by that sort of spacey mm. science fiction. Mm. And not so much the complex science fiction, although I think Journey into Space was a, is a real classic that you can mm. still listen to. It's, it's a wonderful dramatization. Mm. And of course I did, I did the, um, one of the repackagings for all that for the bead. So I did the covers and everything. So oh, I did the whole thing. I did the sleeves, the search, everything for, for them. Oh, and um, it was at a time when I was doing a lot of work for them, uh, extra to Doctor Who or instead of mm. Doctor Who. And, um, and then uh, my main influences were the uh, uh, early, some of the early classic um, full color, uh, uh, very clever um, comic strip artists, you know, from Frank Hansen, Frank Bellamy, Ron Ambleton, mm. uh, Keith Watson, Don Lawrence, these characters. Yeah. Uh, I can, there's always a place in my heart for them. Right. <laughs> and, mm. um, you know, and they, they so, so it, it was, what should have happened is that I should have become a, when I say should have happened, if, if somebody was looking at my CV, my interests, you think I would become a comic strip illustrator or a mm. science fiction strip illustrator, but I don't know, it, it, it almost, my career almost happened in spite of itself. <laughs> so, uh, you know, because I, I look back, I don't know whether you've heard of, um, you know, Jim Burns, or, uh, you know, he's a science fiction illustrator, cover illustrator. I don't have And lots of no. books out. No, I don't, I'm afraid, I must, must admit. But uh, uh, it's, good right. to, it's good to know he's where your inspiration He's probably the best science fiction illustrator in the world, and right. he's British, and he's an exact contemporary of mine. Oh, okay. He had the same influences. Hmm. And uh, see, he's always stuck with one thing. That's hmm. what he does. Right. He's always science fiction. And actually, it does pay off in a way in the end, because you get, if you're really good, you get known for that. Yeah. And if you get so well you've got a much wider public just for one thing yes. it means that you're like a can of beans you're very recognizable <laughs> yes yes well whereas i i'm more like a sort of 57 varieties <laughs> <laughs> oh that was absolutely fantastic and we'll be picking up with andrew in our next episode where he'll be talking further about his work on the range uh, of Doctor Who books and video covers. Good to hear that he's uh, busy doing uh, Doctor Omega covers now. It's like he's come full circle, isn't it? Yes, oh, it is. Nice. Yes, I like that. Yes. Back to Bill Hartnell. <laughs> and all of, uh, well, a good number of uh, Andrew's works are available online for a very keen price, aren't they? In different sizes. You can get them, I think there's some deals that are on in his shop as well, where you yes. can buy two for three in some, some situations. Right. Is that Checking right? Checking out uh, andrewskilleter.com and uh, the Facebook page and um, Instagram as well, I think you were saying. It's almost Instagram. You know, uh, it's still quite hip, as we all are. We're all on Instagram. Ah, fantastic. Uh, do you know... Instagram stories... It, we it's, do that. <laughs> we put gonna, it out there. We're going to try. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just all uh, the kids are doing it. Before we wrap up, um, mm. you know, we should. We haven't really had time. There were so many good VHS covers back in the day, which were painted, and I think we're all really missing out now mm, on DVD mm. covers, mm. which are just photographs. Or no offense to the artists that do the CGI photo montages, mm. but there is a certain discipline and beauty about hand-painted work, yes. which we just don't have now, and I feel so privileged to have grown up in a time where I was buying these books and these VHS tapes, and I would 
scrutinise those covers on the bus rides home. Yes, abs- absolutely. Uh, and I, these are as familiar to me as the stories themselves, the artwork, whereas if I was to recite or describe to you the artwork that's on the current DVD range now, it all looks the same to me. Yeah, exactly, yeah, I agree. Uh, there's, there's, there's no character or depth to them whatsoever. It's just it's not the ability of the artist by any means, it's just the method that... The digital methods that we've, they we've use. We've lost something. I mean, I, I think there's um, there's something about this in, um, in album cover art as well mm. uh, on vinyls. I happen to get th- uh, through a, a limited edition blue vinyl. Here we go. Uh, <laughs> double, <laughs> pay for it. Double LP for Pink Floyd's The Division Bell. And what, what an absolutely stunning cover. Um, is that Storm Thorgerson? It is, yes. It's, it's, uh, it's the, two, the two heads staring at each other in conversation with Eli Cathedral just in the background between the mouth and it's in the field. And it's the metal heads on side one and the stone heads on the other side. And I, think, I believe those heads are quite large and they're, they're, they're in a, a museum of rock and roll in um, America somewhere. The stone heads were used for the cassette. The cassette. Oh, is it cassette? And the metal was for the um, CD and the vinyl. Oh, thank you, Charles. I, I think. Yes. Mm. On the reissue, they put the the, the stone heads on the yeah. on the back of the the double gatefold. Nice touch. Yeah. Lovely um, stuff. But um, yeah, nowadays when kids look at these things on iTunes, it's just like a little few pixels, isn't it? Mm. So all that's gone. Storm Ferguson wouldn't get any work now, would he? You thought when no, it was, was asking on, for it, when this artwork was downscale onto a cassette or a, a CD, we thought it was bad then, but now it's yeah. on an iPhone. Yeah, <laughs> on pixels. Oh dear lord, mm. it's very sad. And there's a place for that mobile format, and that's all well and good. Mm. But when it comes to having things at home, we want them on 12 inch. We want artwork on book covers. Proper artwork. Is yeah. it too much to ask? We want prints. Prints on We want prints. I mean, spare thought for the, the poor comic strip artists. I'm reading Pat Mills' book about 2000 AD. Mm. They were saying that back in the day, the um, publishers would, would use artwork to, to bung up leaking pipes. This is priceless artwork. Oh, God. Gone forever. Most upsetting. Mm. But before we wrap up this podcast, we've got one more thing to do. Yes, I was, I was on Facebook recently. There's a... Um, there's a, uh, a group. social media site. Indeed, yes, thank you for that. Facebook. Facebook, yes. My uh, face. Buster. Uh, there was a, there's a, a site, and they were asking for uh, quotes. Doctor Who, you know, your favourite quote. Give us a quote, and we'll tell you what it's from. Oh, you say, I remember that show with Lionel Blair. <laughs> <laughs> Give us a quote. <laughs> I love that. I'll name it. Tune in one. And it was all stuff from the new series. It was all Hello, Sweetie, and you know, yes. Run, You Clever Boy, and Fantastic. Mm-hmm. And, the same old crap that we've done a thousand times. <laughs> mm. And I thought, well, I'm, I'm sick of this bloody rubbish. I'll, I'll, I'll hit them with something a bit more left field. Mm. Test them, see how, how good they are as fans. Mm. Um, and so I'll hit them with something a bit more um, a bit more challenging. Mm. So I, I went with... Um, we were the Onsan, soldier. So many battles. San, French Labyrinth, Crestus Minor. <laughs> now there was a fight! I remember Shulak planting my son into the very heart of the Christian general. <laughs> so many battles, so many years, but over now. Oh, but one of us doomed to die. Thus is it written. There is no greater honour than to give your life in the service of the Graf Vindicay. Oh, but one of us. Shulak, Shulak, Shulak. To me! To me! Charge! <laughs> oh, I just have to say, Charlie did that with his eyes closed. With no script. No script. Nothing and written down. No his, his lips were quivering by the end. He looked... 
It was Puce like, with rage. It was like he'd been <laughs> taken over by the, the, the spirit of Paul Seed himself. <laughs> Paul Seed was in the room. Well done, Charlie. It was put astonishing. It up, put it up there. Bugger stuck it down. Mm. What? The bugger stuck it down. Why? Because it wasn't like Hello Sweetie or um, Spoilers or... What, they thought you were... You taking were, the piss. Mm. And, and I was. Mm. <laughs> yes. Oh, dear God. Well, that might develop into a theme in this podcast. Well, if that's the guess the line, I think it might be from the Rybos operation. Well done. <sighs> a ripple. A ripple. I, I always uh, thought it was pronounced the, the Rybos operation. The Rybos operation? Mm. No, it's the Ray Burn operation. The Ray Burn operation. It's about a, yeah, a fire. Mm. It's about a, as a, in a, Eugene Rayburn. No, as in the thing you, you cook. You oh, yes. yeah. Well, that's all we, uh, we've got for this episode. We're going to wrap that up now, but we'll be back in a few weeks' time. And we're moving on from our favourite books to our memories of Doctor Who on vinyl. Vinyl? Oh, oh, we all remember that. It's, made, it's made a comeback, hasn't it? It yeah. has. Did it ever go away? Uh, well. You can buy it in Sainsbury's. Yes. Mm. All that and more in the most exciting episode of Doctor Who, The Complete Menagerie. Absolutely exquisite. If you enjoyed listening to that twaddle, you can follow us on Twitter at DW Menagerie. That's at DW Menagerie, and we'll be tweeting various photographs of our inside leg measurements and that sort of thing. Doctor Who is copyright of the BBC. No infringements on copyright are intended. Support Doctor Who by purchasing DVDs and CDs and all other media from the BBC. Any comments made by the complete menagerie, <laughs> almost, are all our own. You've been listening to a Sixth Floor production. I'm fed up with you, you rancorous, quaffered old sow! <laughs> <laughs>